I was talking yesterday about superimposing one chord over another. And I think that's great. But today I want to talk about octaves. And just the space that it can provide for your melody if you displace them. You know, just by going, um... The ear is already like, where are we going? You know? It, it naturally pulls you to the new place and creates expectation. So that's why octave displacement is very important. If you're going to do this, uh, I would suggest just starting with a simple chord accompaniment in the middle of the piano. So you don't have to be all over the place, because it already takes a lot to just keep track of where the octaves are with one hand. So you might not want to try anything crazy with the left hand while you're doing this. But in case you're interested in what that's like, we can play some spread triads or something. Man, I love this keyboard patch. I'm so happy I got it. It's the Ravencroft 275. Took some time to install, but now we're up and running, and it feels so good. I can't wait to show you all my other musical passions. Man, I gotta find a mic that doesn't pick up every single thing I do. That's why I have a condenser mic in my Amazon cart. Uh, anyway. There's so much I'm into, and I haven't even gone into detail, but I really like all music. And, uh... I've really been into folk these days, and I will probably always be. And so we're going to keep reading from this autobiography here by Bobby D. And what I what I really liked about this passage was um he was extremely inspired by these singers that that really did not get the same fame that he acquired. And that's probably because he wrote his own songs. But here in this autobiography, he meets all of these amazing singers and talks about how their performances felt larger than life. And it really inspired him to go beyond his limitations. And I'm going to read for you one of those passages. Um, it was this, this guy named... Let me find it here.
Okay. Page 70. I'd been there once or twice, and that's where I saw Mike play without the Ramblers. Uh, let's find out which Mike he's talking about. Oh, here we go. Let me turn back the page. It was getting late, and me and Dolores were about to leave when I suddenly spotted Mike Seeger in the room. I had noticed him before and watched him walk from the wall to the table. I saw him, and my brain became wide awake, and I was instantly in a good mood. I'd seen Mike play previously with the new Lost City Ramblers at a schoolhouse on East 10th Street. He was extraordinary. Gave me an eerie feeling. Mike was unprecedented. He was like a duke, the knight errant. As for being a folk musician, he was the supreme archetype. He could push a stake through Dracula's black heart. He was the romantic, egalitarian, and revolutionary type all at once. Had chivalry in his blood. Like some figure from a restored monarchy, he had come to purify the church. You couldn't imagine him, him making a big deal out of anything. I also heard him play on his own up at Alan Lomax's loft on 3rd Street. Lomax used to have a party twice a month there, where he'd bring folk singers to play. They weren't really parties or concerts. I don't know what you call them, soirees? You might see Roscoe Holcomb or Clarence Ashley or Doc Boggs, Mississippi John Hurt. Robert B. Williams, or even Don Stover, and the Lilly Brothers. Sometimes. Even real, even real live section gang convicts that Lomax would get out of the penitentiaries on passes and bring to New York to do field hollers in his loft. The invitees to these gatherings would most likely be local doctors, city dignitaries, anthropologists, but there'd always be some regular folk there, too. I'd been there once or twice, and that's where I saw Mike play without the Ramblers. He played the Five Mile Chase, Mighty Mississippi, Claude Allen Blues, and some other songs. He played all instruments, whatever the song called for, the banjo, the fiddle, mandolin, auto harp, and the guitar, even harmonica in the rack. Mike was skin-stinging. He was tense, poker-faced, and radiated telepathy. Wore a snowy white shirt and silver sleeve band. He played on all the various planes, the full index of old-time styles, played in all genres, and had the idiom master. Delta blues, ragtime, minstrel songs, buck and wing, dance reels, play party, hymns and gospel. Being there and just seeing him up close, something hit me. It's not as if he just played everything well. He played these songs as good as it was possible to play them. I was so absorbed in listening to him that I wasn't even aware of myself. What I had to work at, Mike had already in his genes, in his genetic makeup. Before he was even born, this music had to be in his blood. Nobody could just learn this stuff, and it dawned on me that I might have to change my inner thought patterns. That I would have to start believing in possibilities that I wouldn't have allowed before. That I had been closing my creativity down to a very narrow, controllable scale. That things had become too familiar, 
and I might have to disorientate myself. I knew I was doing things right, was on the right road, was getting all the knowledge immediately and firsthand, memorizing words and melodies and changes, but now I saw that it could take the rest of my life to make practical use of that knowledge, and Mike didn't have to do that. He was just right there. He was too good, and you couldn't be too good. Not in this world, anyway. In order to be as good as that, you just have, you just about have to be him, and no one else. Folk songs are evasive, the truth about life, and life is more or less a lie. But then again, that's exactly the way we want it to be. We wouldn't be comfortable with it any other way. A folk song has over a thousand faces, and you must meet them all if you have, if you want to play this stuff. A folk song might vary in meaning, and it might not appear the same from one moment to the next. It depends on who's playing it and who's singing. The thought occurred to me that maybe I'd have to write my own folk songs, ones that Mike didn't know. That was startling to me. Up till then, I'd gone some places and thought I knew my way around, and then it struck me that I'd never been there before. You open a door to a dark room, and you think you know what's in there, where everything is arranged, but you don't really know until you step inside. I can't say I'd seen any performances that were spiritual experiences until I went to Lomax's loft. I pondered it. I wasn't ready to act on any of it, but knew somehow, though, that if I wanted to stay playing music, that I would have to claim a larger part of myself. I would have to overlook a lot of things, a lot of things that might even need attention. But that was all right. They were things that I probably felt totally powerless over anyway. I had a map, could even draw it freehand too. Now I knew I'd have to throw it away. Not today, not tonight, sometime soon. God damn! So good. I think... I really like this part here. I wasn't ready to act on any of it, but I knew somehow, though, if I wanted to stay playing music, that I would have to claim a larger part of myself. I would have to overlook a lot of things. A lot of things that might even need attention. But that was alright. They were things that I probably felt totally powerless over anyway. That is some dark but hopeful acceptance there to be able to say I'm powerless over these things that are bothering me and even though I could probably use to think about them more I'm going to admit I'm powerless over them and move on It's amazing to get into the mind of someone who's really changing on a quantum level and taking the next major steps in his life. And I, I definitely would not have known this much about his thought process if I didn't get this book. 
But it amazes me that he's like so relatable and he's ba he's saying I have these things that either happen to me or are on my mind and as much as I would like to think about them more and square them away in my head I recognize that that is just a distraction in itself and that I'm actually powerless for everything that's happened that is unbelievable and written so succinctly I, I really admire this and I can't wait to show you more of it as I continue to record podcasts so there you have it but what I read late in the night isn't always this uh this informative and enlightening sometimes it's me watching uh well i'll I'll give you an example. I get really curious about everything, including uh relationships, so I find uh you know high profile people and and then I go on youtube and i I listen to uh to a dialogue or conversations between them and uh and their partners cuz I I really am curious about how people communicate when they're in a totally different life circumstance and whether it's the same or different so I actually looked up conversations between Johnny Depp and his previous wife and god damn it's as if fame and uh, creativity have nothing to do with that situation it, you could take him out of his current life and you would have a conversation that is relatable in so many ways and, uh, you know, if if you have that level of success, I guess you just choose things for different reasons. But somehow he ended up in this uh, relationship that uh, was abusive, where he, he was essentially a victim of abuse. And you can hear it so clearly in everything he does in these calls, because he, he maintains such poise while his wife at the time wants to fight about, about anything. And the main takeaway from these, uh, these fights is that they just dig relationships into deeper holes. And although fighting is okay, um, most people use it as an excuse to, uh, you know, find the release valve. And it's uh, just so unfortunate that people with such success have, uh, you know, have so much toxicity in their system. And so I really feel for them. I know it 
happened years ago, but I just found it. Yeah, because I, you know, I got interested in De Johnny Depp. He wanted to be a musician, ended up an actor. I get really into people's uh, early lives, so that's how it happened. I wish I could play a recording, but I haven't downloaded it. But, man, to be in something where you're getting things thrown at you, you're having someone, you know, call you a coward because you don't want to fight. It's, uh... It's just a lot, man. So that's all I had to say about that. That's what kept me up until 11 p.m. or midnight. I'm probably not making it out to be as interesting as it is. You should go look it up for yourself. I'm sure it's easy to find. It's like, it's amazing. Because he he's like, in his own shamanic bubble, while his wife is just, laying it out on him and uh you wouldn't think geniuses end up in these kinds of prototypical situations where you have a gal who is just livid and basically wants you to be exactly how she imagines you to be and uh that's not a good place to be in your life and it's it's amazing how you can spend so much time with someone and not see any sort of red flags of of that going to happen but i guess you know love's a drug right But you'd have to, you'd hope that there'd be some kind of mutual understanding and friendship that prevents any of the people in the relationship from wanting to mold you into something else. But, uh, I guess that doesn't always happen. And it's just, uh, it's, I don't... I'm, I wish it didn't happen, but it's refreshing to hear such a typical conversation between lovers because it makes you, it really makes you think. Like, these people are so evolved in a artistic and career sense, and yet their conversations are nothing but aspersions, really. And uh, I, I just hope that everything works out for both of them, even though I'm sure it's taken its toll on them. But, uh, you know, so that's what I was doing last night. It's really... <laughs> It really sounds mundane and almost like reality TV. 
Um, but I swear, there's some deep sense of reality in hearing these high-profile people talk it out slash fight with each other. Because it just makes them seem totally normal. Even though, of course, they're hyper-talented in other ways. I just thought that, you know, with all of Johnny Depp's experience in life, he wouldn't have run into that. But, I guess, you know, people can either hide those tendencies from you, or, you know, you need love so bad you just don't really care about someone acting out. Um at least at the beginning, and then maybe resent it later. It seems like that's what would happen. I mean, sometimes the good seems like it outweighs the bad in the beginning, and then it dawns on you later. Who really knows? But, um... You know, it's just... It just is what it is, man. People get into these relationships, and, uh, you know, I feel like if you're in their position, you have a stellar career, and so you, uh, you just, like, create this bubble of a new relationship that's not quite integrated into your career, because you're sort of altering your life a little bit to fit the new relationship. And then, um, you know, once that honeymoon is over, you start to, uh, you know, come back into yourself and how you really are on a day-to-day -day basis. Maybe you're not flying to Paris every weekend. And then the truth starts to come out. And, uh, I think something like that is what happened. Man, I'm talking way more about this than anything I'm working on. It's kind of funny. But uh, I really just wanted to to see how long I could talk about something like this and uh, what, what I actually have to say about it. I didn't have any notes, as you can probably tell. But uh, I hope you get something out of it. And I'll play you out. Well, before I play, is there anything else I'm doing? Um, well, I'm learning folk songs. I'm probably not ready to play them for you for the podcast yet, but stay tuned. I'll be singing and playing soon enough, but for now, uh, we'll just listen to Composer Max instead of song. Thank you. 